I mean, the brain doesn't stop working on vacation. That's the thing. The engine is still running, even if you're not driving the car. <laughs> Hi, everyone. This is Natalie Kurz, head of product design at Postlight. I'm very excited to announce that on September 22nd, I will be moderating the next edition of our Doing More with Less panel discussion series. I'll be exploring thinking inside the box with a fantastic group of panelists from top tier organizations like Coforma, NASDAQ, NAVA, and Peacock. We'll be recording live at our office in New York City and would love to have you join us. You can RSVP at postlight.com events. Look forward to seeing you there. everyone. Welcome to the Postlight Podcast. I'm Gina Trapani. I'm the CEO of Postlight. And as always, I'm joined by my partner and the president of Postlight, Chris Lasacco. Hey, Chris, welcome back from vacation. Thank you. I feel refreshed. You were on vacation and I missed you so much, but you're so refreshed. <laughs> you're like a different person. <laughs> it's so good. I came you're so back. I had a new haircut. I had, you know. New haircut, um, fresh legs, <laughs> full of ideas. You're like, I had some vacation ideas. And I was like, this is great. I love vacation ideas. <laughs> I love it. We should take a minute and talk with our listeners about the importance of taking time away. We should. I agree. It is a wonderful thing. And so I just had two weeks off, which felt like this unbelievable luxury. And when we originally planned it, personally, I had been planning to take a longer trip. And for a lot of reasons, including the state of the world, it didn't work out that we took a long trip. We did take a few smaller trips. But having two weeks of uninterrupted space from work is amazing. And some really interesting things happen, which I want to talk about with you and, and share with folks listening, because it's very easy to overlook why vacation is valuable. I mean, obviously it's valuable like for you as a person to, to take time away and have good experiences and travel or, you know, play video games or whatever it is that you like to do. Having that time for yourself is really important, but it's also valuable for your professional life to take space from the day to day and then come back with a materially different perspective a lot of the time. And I definitely, I mean, I'm coming off of it fresh right now, but I definitely experienced this, that when you get back into things, a very stark example is I didn't care about a lot of the like normal day-to-day problems that we have to deal with as business leaders. Those were not what concerned me like as I was getting back into things. I had a renewed clarity about like the big things that were in front of us. What are the more fundamental business challenges that are ahead and how do we go after them? You know, we work in software. I also had like bigger thoughts about what makes good software and how do we make sure that we are oriented in that way or, or continually oriented in that way? Because of course, you know, that is what we do, but there are ways that we can keep our eye on the ball. And those are the kinds of things I was thinking about, not like how do we handle, you know, the IT setup or the small personnel issues that are important, but on a much lower altitude than what you and I need to be, you know, really thinking about and prioritizing on a day-to-day basis. 
I, I know you and I know that there's nothing that you don't care about. You actually do care about every detail. And like you said, you, you didn't care about the day to day, but I think you did. I think what's important about thinking about those big rocks or those big guiding priorities is that the dealing with the smaller things, the day to day, you know, course of business things like falls out of that. Right. So like, you know, it's funny before you left on vacation. And by the way, like as Americans, like, like uh, two weeks vacation feels luxurious. It should not be luxurious. That should and can be like a completely normal thing. I feel like I gut checked with you like six times before I took, I, was like, I actually take this time off. And you, you were did. like, yes, take it, normalize it. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, and at one point you said to me, listen, at the end of the first week, why don't we just do a call and like we'll catch up. We'll just catch up for like an hour and you right. can just walk me through like what's going on. And I was like, Chris, just what am I, imagine that phone call. We would do the call. You'd be on vacation. We would do the call and I would give you a list of like the top five, you know, whatever, you know, fires are about to be fires, you know, happening in the day to day of the business, which I can handle and which our senior leadership team can handle. If you want to spend time working on your vacation, take that time to take some headspace and like think big and write down some thoughts and like come back with that. Like that'll be useful. That'll be more useful to Way all of us, useful. right? Way right. more useful. I mean, I think especially as leaders, you never really truly go on vacation and stop thinking about work. I, I do some of my best thinking <laughs> when I am not actively hands on keyboard or like in the meeting, you know, it's when I've like taken a walk or, you know, like, you know, shower thoughts or I'm, I'm doing something, you know, my poor family, I've, you know, I'm, I'm at the playground with my kid and I like have a, I like have an insight or a thought about, oh, this is, this is what should be important to us. And it's a clarity, you know, and then I try to jot it down and bring it back to work. Like, and I, I just think that that's so important. And I, you have this like vacation glow <laughs> and I want it for you for, <laughs> to, to, I want it to continue, but I, I know the glow. I'm, you and I are both kind of, I think there are some folks who don't like disconnecting and are just kind of don't think about vacation the way you and I think about vacation similarly. And that I know, like if I go too long without disconnecting from work for a bit, I start to feel it. Like I start to feel tired. I, I feel my, my tank is low, my patience, my flexibility, my adaptability, like it gets a little lower. Like I, I can feel when I'm like ready to take a break. And I think, I think you're similar and you and I have been able to carve out those times. Okay. You know, you go recharge and I've got this for a while. And that's, that's worked really well for us. I know not everybody sort of operates in that way because you come back with sort of renewed commitment like I'm so happy that like we do what we do and like we get to solve problems together and like these are interesting problems and like he, you know here's some thoughts that I had like that's always an exciting that exciting moment it's a great moment I feel like this has been it's ground that has been well covered by a lot of different people but it is it's also easy to overlook which is that when you're in the daily course of things and you're dealing you're you know you're jumping from thing to thing to thing when we were catching up, I think you called it business thrash, which I feel like is yes. the right name for it, which is just, it's not unnecessary. They're all things that need to be talked about or dealt with or yes. discussed, but they take away from the higher level, higher altitude thinking a lot of the time, sometimes unknowingly, like you don't even realize it, but because you are spending your time jumping from thing to thing to thing, your brain never has the ability to sort of like meander into these other places. And there's a lot of different ways to get at it, but a key part of it is just stopping, disconnecting from the daily business thrash and saying, I know that I have other people in place who can take care of it. And we should talk about this. I think that's something that's important for every leader to be thinking about, which is what is the system that you're building under you and around you to be able to handle things, not just so you can take 
time off, but so that you can be other places and th- be thinking about other things and be, you know, expanding the the mandate of your group and going after growth, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of people, especially newer leaders, don't think about how do I build you know, my support structure, because they have been thinking about how do I, you know, get into the seat that I'm in? Right. How do I, how do I get, how do I do all the things to make sure that, do all the things. Know, that it's covered? Yeah. And we should be transparent here that this is something that, that you and I have had to go through too. And we've talked a little bit about it on the podcast before, but stepping into, you know, true leadership is being able to build a support structure and delegate and give yourself more time to be thinking higher level, higher altitude stuff. And that is, you know, you can shortcut it and accelerate it if you step away for a week or two and say, I'm not going to think about the daily business thrash. I'm not actually going to think about most work things. And I'm just going to see what bubbles up. And sure enough, at least for me, and I think for you too, things do bubble up. And it's not because you're, you know, I I didn't sit down in my backyard and say, I'm going to have a big thought about Postlight's strategic (laughs) direction. It was just like, you know, I'm outside and enjoying nature and and what and it's like, oh, I, ha- I just had a weird thought about what makes good software. Let me jot that down so I can bring it back to Gina when I, t- you know, catch up with her on Monday. You know, f- for me, it's about like recentering on like the why, right? There's that mm. like switch between the why versus the how. And I think the why is so important. When I say the why, I mean, why do we do what we do? Why do I do what we do, right? Like there's like there's like a personal story about like, you know, what it is about work that I absolutely love. And like, w- you know, what are the things that I enjoy doing? What are the things I want to get better at doing? What are the things that I feel like I'm good at doing and want to push it even further? There's that personal why, but then there's the business why. Why do we exist? What are we trying to be? Where do we want to be, you know, in, in the next few years? And if you, if you get clarity about that why, and let's be honest, like the why, it evolves, right, over time because yeah. the market changes and our situation changes and we just went through a big transaction. Like like that that why changes over time. And the more clarity that you have about it, the more like that compass kind of becomes more fully formed, right? Absolutely. And then you and I get aligned on the, on the compass and the direction that it's pointing. And then we can talk to our leadership team about it. And then we talk to the team about it because I think ultimately – you know, if everyone feels clear on the here's why we do what we do, like then all the other smaller day to day decisions uh, become easier to make. Right. Yes. Because you're like, this either gets us closer <laughs> to where we're going or it doesn't. Right. That's right. I think it's the most critical really work that that you can do. And I think vacations are a really good way to do it. But let's just be honest. Vacation is happens, you know, I don't know, every few months or something. I think there's also just like daily practices that at least for me as a leader have have been really important to try to build in some of that awareness and that framing around what's going on and how to handle it that requires kind of stepping back a little bit. This is a leading question because I know where you're going to go. But can you talk (laughs) about what's a practice that you use to recenter day to day? I heard this really great bit of advice. It was a CEO who said, you know, my my best piece of leadership advice for anyone, you know, leading a, a group or a team is to not let others set your agenda for the day, right? So there are lots of ways for others to set your agenda, right? Like the emails are coming in, the Slack notifications, the calendar invites, right? 
And he said, if you're, if you're waking up in the morning, this is just an example. If you wake up in the morning and the first thing you do is go to your email inbox, which is essentially a list of tasks that somebody else has assigned to you. <laughs> and you start by reacting to those tasks. You, you've kind of lost, right? Like you mm-hmm. have to set your agenda for the day. So one of, one of my practices, I'm not saying this is right for everybody, but one of my practices is I start the day from my task, you know, my, the task list that I set yesterday, I look at it. What here is still needs to be done and what is still useful? What are the meetings that I have today? And are there any that I don't need to be that in? Are there any meetings that are any issues that I should be meeting about that I'm not, right? So I set my tasks and events for the day before I look at any kind of inputs from others, right? Because I want to set, I want to set my agenda because I know that I get sort of carried away in reactivity if I log into Slack. You know, if I look those those red badges or if I look at that that inbox uh, count, I'm gonna lose myself, right? And I'm gonna feel like I lose I lose my direction for the day. So another thing I do is I I block time in the beginning of the day in my calendar to do that work, to do that sort of centering work and setting my agenda for the day and looking, at, you know, prepping for my meetings and and putting down my tasks and being like, here's what I'm gonna do today, because I want to proactively set how I'm spending my time and attention, right? Because I mean, ultimately your time and your attention, it's the most precious and finite resource that you have. And if you spend it the wrong way, not when I say the wrong way, if you spend it on things that don't move your team forward, that's, that's to me is, is failure, right? Like that's where, that's the biggest risk to the business and to the team, right? Yeah, but it's hard. I mean, the reality is there's a gravity and a pull when you think about, I mean, we're Slack-based culture at Postlight. All the activity is happening in Slack. I would say it's 98% Slack, 2% email and other. For internal. For internal. And once you enter that Slack vortex, that's it. It's not just the red bandages. It's the feeling that like there's, if I were to project it physically, it's like you're in an office and there are all these conversations happening in all these different rooms, except you could hear all of them and you can sort of jump from conversation to conversation, but it, but you don't have to walk from room to room. You can, you're clicking a mouse, you're not moving. And so it is, it is incredibly easy and thus hard to resist to just go and walk in all the rooms and say, what's going on here and how do I help? And Inevitably, there are things that need your attention or that you feel like you want to course correct or adjust or contribute to or congratulate. There's all of these attention grabbers that are happening in all these different channels. And once you step in, it is very hard to step back out. The same dynamics are at play that, you know, exist in social media or any other, you know, connection between humans. I also block my calendar in the morning if I can and say, you know, I want to save those morning hours to to get my head on straight and to think about what my priorities are before I'm thinking about what every, everybody else's priorities are. I'm not 100% successful at it. It is very common for me to, you know, wake up and come downstairs with my coffee and check Slack and be like, oh, I got to dive gotta right dive into, into that. This thing. And, you're, and you're off on the wrong foot already. What do they say about meditate? I don't meditate. I should. But, you know, it, <laughs> part of the thing is like they call it a practice because you got to keep coming back to it like day after day. Yes. Like, it's not it is like a practice. That's right. You don't achieve it. It's not a goal you achieve that you achieve. It. It's a practice. That's exactly right. And I, I don't always get it right either, to be totally honest. And there's another point here that I want to make, though, and, and something that I definitely have struggled with and gone back and forth as a leader, because as a leader, I also want to be 
responsive and you know because I because I am responsible right I am responsible to our clients I am responsible to our team and so being responsible means that I am obligated to respond so if I'm blocking something or if someone has sent me a message I want to you know respond to that message within a you know reasonable amount of time I want my team and my clients to understand that I'm here for them right but you know as much as I can I want to switch into you know response mode and do that in a in a time that I that I've determined sort of once I've gotten you know my own kind of thoughts about the lingering things that happened yesterday or the things I thought about over the weekend and I, and I want to prioritize those first. So I've definitely, responsiveness is something that I that I, I think is important. I value as a leader and I, and I don't want my team to feel like I'm not available, right? It's a balance, but I think you can have both. I think you can set your own agenda and also be responsive if you, you know, protect yourself and protect that that reflection time. I agree. And, and I would posit, um, and maybe this is not true, but I think your responses are going to be better if you take that moment in the beginning. Absolutely. You're orienting yourself. You are thinking about where you are headed and then what flows from that is going to be naturally sort of more aligned with where you're going. This is kind of like, I don't know if there's actual a, a deep connection here, but it feels to me like if you're thinking about your North Star and then you go to respond to a message that is, you know, about something happening day to day, in some small way, there's going to be a stronger connection to that overall vision because yes. you've just you've just taken the moment to like point yourself in the right direction. That's absolutely right. One of the important things that that I have realized and have to realize over and over again is that things happen, events happen. We ship something great, a client is upset, there's a personal issue, there is a disagreement or a misalignment. These things happen, right? They are neither good things or bad things. They're just things that happen. The way that you interpret those things, the story that you tell yourself about that thing that happened and the story that you tell your team and your org about that thing that happened is where the good or bad of the judgment comes in, right? So so what's so important is the stories that we tell ourselves and each other and our team about what is happening in our business, right? When challenges and hardships happen, if your tank is low and you're responding and you're afraid and you're stressed and you immediately are like, this is terrible, we are screwed. Like, if you go directly to that place, that is going to become true, right? right. Like, I mean, one of, one of my favorite maxims is like, it's never as good or bad as, as you, you think. As you think it is. As yes. you think, right, exactly. You know, a lot of our job, it's actually a very surprising <laughs> amount of our job as leaders is, is interpreting the events and the factors and the variables and the thing that this person said, the thing that that person said and whose interests and coming up with the narrative and the story about what is happening and what we are going to do about it and how it aligns with our values and what we're trying to do here. Like telling that story, coming up with that story is so much a part of our, of our jobs. And for me, you know, that's something that I have to do, like my internal narrative. Mm -hmm. is so so big so you know it's funny so while you were on vacation I'm a writer I think by writing I journal I take copious notes part of it is that my memory is terrible so it just helps me remember things but the other part is that it really helps me think through things so while you were on vacation I took I took pretty copious notes like on a, on a daily basis I think I, I think I wrote like 15 pages or something just like things that had happened and you know things I thought that we should do thoughts that had occurred to me and it's so funny because as I read back, I could see myself like overreacting or, or misinterpreting things like in the moment, you know, like feeling just like, oh, this is terrible. And we, we really got to figure this out. And, uh, you know, we got a problem here. 
like some like in, in some cases, like some negative takes. And even just looking back at my notes, you know, after a couple of business days had passed, I'd be like, wow, I would laugh because I'm like, Chris is going to is going to read this and he's going to chuckle probably <laughs> and go like, we're fine. It's all fine. Let's talk it through and we'll find a path forward. So I'm interested to know. And I was a little embarrassed. I called it my live journal. I was like, Chris, I wrote you a long live journal. Like, like, let's go through this when you get back. And so I'm curious to hear what your experience of reading that from being afar and away was. I, I yeah. detailed lots of thrash, day-to-day thrash for like two weeks for you. <laughs> oh my God. I have so many thoughts. First of all, I just want to make sure it's clear to people listening. Yeah, this live, quote unquote, live journal, which was a Google Doc, not a live, not <laughs> an actual live journal. First of all, thank you for doing it because it is it is amazing. And, and as much for me as for you, honestly. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I asked your permission to do this, but I, I took Slack bankruptcy. Again, our culture Almost all the communication happened in Slack. I did not check Slack once during vacation. That's an important communication habit for me because I know that if I go in and I'm like, well, let me just check on this like one little thing, boom. But once the door is open, that's it. The door is open, the flood starts pouring through. Um, host. So I did not check Slack at all. When I came back, my sidebar was lit up like a Christmas tree. Like there was mm-hmm. a million and a half things that I could have gone to read. And I am not ashamed to say like in the past, I would go through and read every single message when I would get back from a week or a couple of days off. But it would take you like a couple of days to dig through it all. Like I, I yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's a mini project to like just catch up on all the chat that's happened. But this time I said, I'm not doing that. You had done this amazing job of of writing down, you know, from your perspective, what were the things that were that were important that mattered over the the two weeks that I was out, and so that's what I used, and I marked all as red in Slack, and it was very freeing. Um, and I would recommend that everybody do that when they take their time off. But it's so funny. My experience of of reading this was exactly what you described, sort of processing yourself. I could see happening in the writing. It's this beautiful <laughs> yeah. thing of coming back with perspective because you you know I was reading this. And there are some things that also clearly jumped out to me. And it was like, yes, this is a thorny problem that we need to work through. And it's not going to be, you know, an easy or straightforward solve. This is like, we probably have to have a set of conversations amongst us and with a few other people and think about like, how do we make a good thoughtful decision here? And that's good. Like it's good when those kinds of problems come up and you can say, oh, this is something where I could should clearly be spending my time. It's impactful as a leader. This is where I wanna go make, you know, a good, smart, impactful decision. But then there were other things and some of them, I hope you don't mind me calling you out. It was like, it was a long bit of writing. It was like, you know, you clearly had a lot of thoughts and emotions and you were processing a bunch. And I came back and I read it and I was like, we don't have time for this. No, no, none of this matters. This just isn't important. This just isn't important. This weird meeting on the scale of all the things that we're dealing with just doesn't matter. This is not important and we don't need to deal with this. It's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful insight. This is the point that we were talking about at the beginning. Sometimes it's hard to see that. You know, I'll speak for myself. Like sometimes I'm in the day to day and I get to the end of the day and, you know, maybe I'm like feeling kind of dejected. And I was like, man, that was hard. Like we had, I had a bunch of meetings and like the vibe was off in one of them. And we were like, you know, going around in circles on the other one. And it was really tough. And I'm complaining to my wife over dinner and it's like, you know, not good. But then if you can step out of it for a second through maybe a daily practice or something, very often you'll realize that at least some of those 
things are just not worth your time. They're not worth your, and it's not just time. They're not worth your stress and agita over. Mental energy, exactly. You know, in this specific example that I'm thinking of from your write-up, like it also just doesn't have a huge impact on our business, period. It wouldn't move the needle one way or the other, right? It, It doesn't really affect if we're making more money or not, or producing better software, or making our team happier or more frustrated. Like it just wasn't that impactful. So why are we going to spend more time or energy on it? We shouldn't. That's right. I want to go back to something you said, which is like the stories we tell ourselves because it really resonated with me. I have been listening to a lot of audiobooks this year. I listened to, do you know Yuval Noah Harari's book, Homo Deus? No, I haven't read that one. It's like the sequel to Sapiens. Sapiens is like the history of humankind. Homo Deus is a prediction for the future of humankind. Mm -hmm. It's a fantastic book. I really liked, I mean, I loved Sapiens. I also liked this book. It was a lot of really interesting ideas that were presented. But one of the things he talks about in the book is the difference between the experiencing self and the narrating self. And they Ah. don't always agree and he right. tells this this fascinating story about an experiment that was done where they'd have a subject like put their hand in cold water for 30 seconds and then they would you know rate the experience and then they had a a different sub or maybe the same subject put their hand in cold water for 45 seconds the first 30 was just cold but then the last 15 the water warmed up by a couple of degrees and what they found was that even though the experiencing self, it is objectively better to have the 30 second experience because your hand is in cold water for less time. You know, you are right. having less discomfort if you if you think of it that way. But the narrating self would over index on how the experiment ended. So the fact that the water warmed up a little bit they left it feeling like, oh, well, that wasn't that bad. Like it was hard at the beginning. Recency bias. There's recency bias. Exactly. Yes. You know, his point in the book, or at least what I took away from it, is the narrating self is way more important because the narrating self is the one who's piecing together these slices of experience and drawing out a narrative, a story that we ultimately believe in and in many times, you know, commit to memory. Like this is the thing that we took away from this experience. So it's the narrating self that's really got control, so to speak, over how we feel about an experience or a a set of events that happen. And it's so funny because just like you were saying before, we've all worked with the person who has one bad thing happen and it's the worst possible thing and it's the end of the world and we have to respond right away and they spin up all kinds of like anxiety around them or when something good happens it's like the best possible thing and we need to celebrate x y and z and you know everyone should be you know shouting from the rafters the narrating self is like out of whack it just it's funny to think about it from a business leadership perspective where a leader can bring tremendous value by sort of being the meta narrator that narrator yes exactly for how the team is doing how the group is doing how the business is doing and saying i'm actually going to bring a little bit of judgment and perspective here so that I'm trying to tie together each of these individual experiences into a larger cohesive whole. So I just thought that was 
really a really interesting parallel. I Sapiens has been on my to read list for a while, so oh I need God, to read both so of good. these. But it's so so true. One of the aspects of the stories that we tell ourselves and we tell our teams that I think is super powerful. You and I have talked about this podcast. I think Glennon Doyle has talked about this on her mm-hmm. podcast. Mm-hmm. This idea of like normalizing, like things go wrong and things go right, but we always, as humans, index on the things that go wrong. But this idea of like being like, this is totally normal. This kind of thing happens, you know, for in our line of business, this kind of thing happens in projects, in client relationships, with vendors all the time. It's totally normal. This is just regular course of business stuff. And here's how we could approach it, right? Because I, I think that some of the catastrophizing and the, oh my God, you know, the whole world's on fire comes from just like this unexpected thing happened. It went wrong. I feel terrible about it. And now like, you know, I, I don't know what to do. There's just no, you know, do we have a process? We don't have a process. Oh my God. You know, like it just amps up and up, right? Yeah, I mean, a very powerful way to, you know, to go back to that things are never as bad as you think that they are is to say, like, this is completely normal and not that unexpected and not that surprising. Just that alone, I think I've seen I've seen shoulders literally like drop, you know, on meetings like I'm calmer now. Oh, this is normal. This has happened before. Like this isn't, you know, an extraordinary, terribly extraordinarily terrible circumstance. So that that normalizing of of hard things, which I think is the thing that Glennon talks about all the time. Hard things, completely normal. And the idea is that we that we solve them. There are some weeks and, you know, I'm free to admit this. There's some weeks where I'm just like, ah, it's just one problem after another. And are we ever going to have a calm day? And it's never just easy, smooth sailing. Like I can get into that narrative a little bit. Like when are we just going to have a calm week? It took me time to realize things not being calm is completely normal. And that's okay because... I really like solving problems. Like we solve problems in our business, right? We solve problems for our team. We solve problems for our clients. Problems are the work. And it's honestly kind of fun work. I enjoy solving business problems. This is why I do what I do. And so when I get into this mode where I'm like, couldn't we just have a few days without a problem? That's when I know that like my tank is low and I maybe I need to maybe like take a break, you know, take a break mm-hmm. and recharge a little bit. Like, because pro- the solving of the problems, that is the work. And and the other, and I shared this when you got back from vacation. I mean, the other part of that for me is I enjoy solving business problems and I enjoy solving business problems with people who I like and trust. That part of the work for me, like I, I don't think I could ever be, you know, a solo business business owner. Like I would just be alone in a room with my ideas telling myself the most catastrophic stories. Like, like I really like working with you and working with Michael and working with our senior leadership team because that is the most fulfilling and satisfying thing in the world where you're like, okay, we've got this problem in front of us. Here's the shape of it. Here's what we think the problem is. Here's the gap between what we think it should be and what it is. Like, how do we move it forward? Like, that's fun. Like that's I enjoy fun. doing that. And so every day now I'm sort of like, I enjoy solving business problems. Like bring them on. Let, let's do it together. And also helping others solve problems for themselves. So they, they, they don't have to come to me and say like, what should we do here? You know, yep. it's like, let's equip each other with the tools we need to, you know, understand like this is normal and completely you know solvable let's get in there and do it together in a in a calm you know way because this is just what the work is and and the work is good absolutely absolutely that was ended there that was yeah that was good (laughs) great (laughs) there was one there was one more point that i wanted to make and maybe i'll just plant this seed with our listeners too which is it's important that everybody feel like they have this option to take time away it's Critical for leaders, like we've talked about, but it's also critical that leaders set an example for the rest of their teams, the rest of their group, the rest of their company. And it, I've heard it so many times, and I know you have too, where people say, you know, I would love to take a week off, but I just can't. 
I can't because of there's a project that has a deadline. There's a, you know, I, I don't have a backfill for my team. I don't have a, I mean, the, the list. My team's be, depending on me. My client can't let me go. All those things, right? I'll be letting people down. You can always come up with a reason why you can't take time off. And I think it is imperative that leaders make it okay that you should and you kind of must like take time off. And if you feel like you can't, that is a problem to be solved. You need to work on how do you, going back to what I was saying before, set up a support structure or shuffle things around or adjust your responsibility set so that it doesn't have to be a two week or three week vacation. You know, it could be a two or three day, it could be a long weekend, Mm -hmm. but you need to be able to take time away. And I would encourage all leaders to think about if you hear people say, well, I, I just can't take time off, that's a problem. And you need to figure out how to, how to sort that out. Yeah. And those people are not going to do their best work or show up aligned with the why. Exactly. Aligned with the why. Yep. I'm so glad you're back from vacation. Thank you. I, I am really too. enjoy solving problems with you, Chris. I'm so glad you're <laughs> back. Also, if you've got problems you'd like to solve, you should reach out. Postlight, we are a digital strategy, design and engineering firm. We're based in New York City, and we love to hear from you. We read every single email that comes to us. Hello at postlight.com. Please get in touch, and thanks for listening. Thanks, Gina. This was fun. We'll do it again soon. Have a great rest of the day.